somebody you're close to, do it for a stranger, because there's so many lessons to be learned, and that's why I wanted to talk to Dr. Jamal Harris Bryant, y'all, who y'all know as a senior pastor of New Birth Missionary Baptist Church, a progressive thought leader, uh, tenured civil rights a- activist, a community order- organizer. It, 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 there's so many titles for this young man. I like to call him Nuke Nuke because he's a great frat brother of mine <laughs> as well. And, uh, and you know what? He's such a great frat brother. You can see him in the pulpit sometime, y'all, with, with huge K.A. Huge side because those of us who love it know that it's founding, uh, much like the others, but th- that was God's grace. That was God's grace that those organizations were founded and still exist today. So I always knew, I always love to see you represent us so well. And we're going to talk so much about MLK, but I like people to know about the history you're making, too. Uh, you are not just a voice. Um, your leadership has blessed us in so many ways, even if we go down to your leadership and years of experience with the National Youth and College uh, Directorship of the NAACP. The, what you have done to empower us economically, those of us who are economically disadvantaged and 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 challenge social injustice across the world, brother. So welcome to the show again. And, you know, I'm always happy to have you here and you bless us with your presence. Uh, Dr. Bryant, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's a privilege to be with you and thank you for giving me the opportunity. Well, listen, uh, the, the pleasure is ours. And, you know, I, I really want to jump right into this because people like you are are really, really busy during this time of year. Tomorrow we will, we will celebrate and commemorate Dr. King. And you, you, you somewhat in his footsteps. I mean, you graduated from Morehouse. Uh, you did go to Duke University before going to seminary school. Talk to us about the church's influence during the civil rights movement and the, and the intersection between pastoral leadership and activism. No, the black church was the epicenter of the culture and the community. 
uh, as a consequence, the uh, uh, Montgomery bus boycott every night. Uh, they came back for direction, instruction, and inspiration. It was the church that uh, mobilized how they were going to do what I call the prehistoric Uber hours, uh, right. where, they sharing, right. where they were sharing rides. <laughs> uh, all of that came uh, out of the black church. Uh, Dr. King, like myself, is a graduate of Morehouse College. Uh, when you look at 112 HBCUs, to know that 90 of them came out of the womb of the black church. Uh, speak wow. to uh, the black church's historic significance and relevance. Amen. Amen. You know what? I didn't realize that that percentage was so high. I, I'm sure my, our yeah. listeners didn't either. either. So, look, we're, 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 we're learning today as well. Um, I did mention that you, you served as a national youth and college director for the NCAA, and you did that for six years. And you're credited with helping to mobilize over 70,000 youth worthwhile and nonviolent campaigns. What, what, did, what did this experience teach you about nonviolence and solving problems in our community? Well, it, it really taught me how to be a pastor, uh, community organizer. Watch what Jesus said, go. He said, go into all the earth, go into Judea, go into Samaria. But listen to what the church says. The church says, come. In order for you to get right with God, you got to come to our church. You got to come to Bible study. You got to come to midweek service when the charge is to go. And I right. think the pandemic forced the church to leave the building uh, so wow. that the, the community could see the church really at work. Wow. That's deep, right? I mean, yeah. uh, and, and I know you're not, I mean, you're, you're still living that very much. Uh, you, you're not as young as you used to be. <laughs> but, no, no. But, I'm in full-blown midlife crisis, brother. <laughs> hey, me and you both, me and you both, but, but, but to God is the glory, right? Each day oh, yes. that we wake yes. up is a blessing. Um, uh, doctor, you, you're familiar with civil rights hero Ambassador Andrew Young, who's still with Absolutely. us, man, today. Yes. And... You know, he tells a story of a moment that he shared with Dr. Martin Luther King when, when they were in their 30s, Jamal. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Dr. King said that as forerunners of civil rights movement, meaning himself as well, Andrew Young, uh, and, and he met Hosea Williams, Joseph Lowry, and uh, Ralph Abernathy, to name a few, all had to be clinically insane, he said, uh, to think that as a bunch of, uh, of young Negroes, they could redeem the soul of this nation. Yeah. He said that, that they'd be lucky, all of them would be lucky to make it to the age of 40, and, and yet they did. And they were going to have to keep the struggle going until they were 100 years old if they kept at it, right? Well, right. Ambassador Young is 91 and going strong. What, what, what do you think Dr. King would say about everything that's been accomplished so far uh, as it relates to social uh, equality. James Baldwin once said, to be black and conscience, you have to live with a little bit of rage. Uh, and so when you look at the rage with that insanity, that's why you have to have spiritual grounding. Can you imagine what must have been the internal conversation of Senator Raphael Warnock uh, to know that uh, Herschel Walker, who ran against him, had 1.4 million votes. The 1.4 million people said, we don't care if you beat women, don't care if you're hypocritical on uh, your position on abortions, don't matter whether you can conjugate birds, 
uh, we'd rather go with you. And here's a man who lived a pristine life, uh, actually has a command of language, actually had a vision, and had to fight all the way down to the bitter end. Uh, it's insane. Uh, and it's aggravating. It's insane. It's <laughs> insane. And, and you know what? You captured it from the pulpit that went viral, um, uh, yeah. Doc. I mean, yeah. it's insane. But doesn't it tell us where we, if nothing else illustrates where we are as a country, it yeah. tells us that people are willing to go to their corner and they're willing to stay there no matter how much it hurts us and even how much it hurts them. Well, they're really, they're really teaching us a lesson. The evangelicals uh, made a oath with Donald Trump when he ran for president and said to him, if you will oppose abortion and same-sex marriage, we'll carry you. The question we've got to ask in celebrating Dr. King, what is our issue? What's our demand to the Democratic Party? We're, let's ask the real question. What are we demanding of President Biden? What do we really expect from those who we have put in leadership? Uh, Frederick Douglass, out of my home state of Maryland, said power concedes nothing without a demand. We have no power because we've made no demands. And so I think Amen. that one of the things that we've got to do is uh, have the fearlessness of Dr. King uh, to demand, whether that's the integration of a water fountain uh, or a lunch counter. Let's do something novel like demand police be held accountable for killing innocent black children. And Imagine that. Imagine yeah. that. <laughs> Let's demand that banks uh, actually have a branch in our hood and don't just drop an ATM. Uh, let's demand that uh, even people who are our color have an obligation to uh, serve us and not have convenient amnesia once they arrive. Amen. You know, and Doc, we keep we keep talking about things that we see uh, as it relates to demanding things from our elected officials, people that we put in office. I mean, look at the overturning of Roe v. Wade, the, the fear of critical race theory and the idea that acknowledging our country's history, the racist part of it, right, because we know it exists, it's still a threat to our, our future. How do we continue to make progress towards democracy and equal justice in this, in this place we call America, our home? Yeah, no, well, we've got to do a complete overturn of our thought process. Malcolm X says it's absolutely insane that uh, the children of the oppressed will lead the education to the oppressor. Uh, and we do no outside education about who it is that we are. Think about we are offended uh, that there are only 28 days in Black History Month as if we can't do any education at home. The Jewish community teaches their children all year round, and they have to know their history by the time they're 12 years of age. Uh, we're at a critical point. We can't even argue critical race theory uh, cohesively uh, because our young people are at least a grade and a half behind from the pandemic uh, because we left homeschooling to parents who never showed up for PTA. Wow. That, that's powerful, man. And, and it's something really to pay attention to as we celebrate MLK and his legacy. And, and you know, Doc, I, I want to make sure this holiday don't get washed down, man, or watered down. There's so much work to do. And, yeah. and I, think about, I think about the wisdom and experience that you've gained over the years in the fight. 
Where, where do you think where do you think our priorities should lie today as it relates to social justice? And you mentioned right. education, right? I, yeah, I, I, yeah. I know that, but I wonder I wonder where else you think we ought to be focusing in on. Just like Easter has been reduced to brunch and Easter egg hunts and Christmas has been reduced to Rudolph and Santa, Dr. King's holiday has been reduced to I have a dream. Uh, Dr. King, in the words of uh, Minister Louis Farrakhan, wasn't killed because he had a dream. He got killed because he woke up. When Jeff, Dr. King wow. was killed, he wow. was organizing the Poor People's Campaign. He said to Harold Belafonte, I'm afraid I've integrated the Negro into a burning house. What is the point of us being able to eat at a lunch counter if we don't have money for a hamburger? So I think that the next step that we have to go to is from civil rights to silver rights of economic justice. I'm tired of seeing uh, people giving platitudes online talking about we need financial literacy for those who are in poverty. They, they don't need financial literacy. They need access to capital. Uh, and if they access yeah. to capital, uh, because uh, in the hood, all of us can get a loan to buy a used car and none of us can get a loan to start a small business. And so wow. I think that economic justice is our next frontier. You know, and, and I, I, I want to put this on your ear because uh, I know you talk to our elected officials all over the country, folks who look like you and I. And one of the things that's so important, you, you look at what they're trying, what they tried to do in New York in the our, our, our black elected officials who are speaking for government ought to be saying to these banks, we're not going to do we're not going to do business with you. If we find evidence of you redlining and not adding capital, not not providing equal opportunity to capital uh, for black and brown people. I mean, ha have you heard any more conversation about that? I mean, do you see any movement? Would that be underneath MLK's dream? It, it is, I think, um, the model of black leadership that we have missed which is the model of Maynard Jackson. Maynard Jackson, after Dr. King, has probably done more for black people in the 21st century than we have given him credence for, credit for. Uh, that the largest airport in the world, he said, as mayor, would not be built if there was not black business partnership. Uh, is that it was not platitudes, but it was on principle. And I think that our leadership base has got to be more than uh, allowing these uh, vendors and partners to buy souvenir journal ads uh, just for them to sponsor T-shirts for the church cookout. Uh, but there's got to be meaningful uh, partnership that we bring to the table. Well, you know, one of the things I love to talk to you about is, is you and I are, are, are huge girl dads. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you got your set of twins, I got my set of twins, and we got another one just hanging out hanging out in there with them. Uh, I wonder, uh, when you think about Dr. King's words, you know, we talked about it being relegated to I have a dream. But when he talked about I have a dream that one day little black boys and girls will, will be holding hands with little white boys and little white girls, you know, when he talked about uh, contents of our character, and he said so much about said. I just wonder if you, like me, think about how much of it has been realized 
and how much of it needs to be realized for our girls to have the kind of lives that we want them to have. Yeah, I think that we're shouting as cheerleaders from the 50-yard line. Uh, we're almost there by virtue of the fact uh, that uh, Stacey Abrams uh, uh, ran for governor. Uh, but we're halfway there because she's not elected uh, because Stacey Abrams is a black woman. Uh, they, they could find absolutely nothing in compelling. Uh, the reality is Kemp don't have that great of a personality. Uh, he, he ain't that outgoing. <laughs> That's he right. ain't that much of a speaker. So y'all That's right. Now. That's uh, right. You know, in, 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 and let's go a step further and say the United States of America in its history has never elected a black woman as governor. And so we, we've got a whole lot of strides we need to make uh, for uh, us to get to uh, the next place by virtue of the fact that the Democratic Party, the pundits and the talking heads aren't even considering Kamala as a viable candidate in the next presidential election. And so we've got to move from symbolic gain to substantive strides. Doc, how do we, you've got a large congregation. Is there any, any secret to how we get our folks to believe that voting matters? I mean, not just the ones of us who know it and do it all the time, but there's just so many of us that don't. No, we, you wasting your time because that they already believe it. And here's the evidence. Over 12 million of them voted in American Idol. Over 24 million of them voted in the boys. Stop so it, they man. Know that, Come they on. They know that a vote Come matters. On. Come on, we just it, gotta re, We just got to redirect it from entertainment to empowerment. Come on. Come on, Doc. <laughs> <laughs> wow, Doc. That's, that's powerful, right? Because, number one, well, let me say it this way. It is powerful. And I know you wouldn't say it if it wasn't true. I know you do your research. But what is sad about all of that is it just says our priorities are in the wrong place. We care about things that, that won't help our kids and won't help our future. And, and so that's why I'm trying to figure out how do we, how do we influence our, our folks to flip it and to flip it in a way that has legs, that does it more than one cycle. Because we have the opportunity to really, really guide this country in a way that, that where there is equal justice, right? Where there is an equal opportunity for prosperity. But we have decided that, that, that there are things more important in our everyday life right this moment. And we got to get beyond that. So I'm glad that you're, that you're preaching about it, man. I, and I just uh, applaud you for that. My last question to you, though, Doc. Yeah. The amazing project that you're working on outside of Atlanta, the, 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 the Black Wall Street, the, the, uh, I forgot what you're calling it. I, I wanted to get an yeah, update on, on how that's going. <laughs> uh, yes, no, it's called the New Black Wall Street Market. Uh, we opened it 100 years uh, after Black Wall Street was burned down in Tulsa. Uh, we have over 100 black vendors under one roof, uh, and we're really doing uh, the work of economic development uh, this is, uh, I know it's Martin Luther King holiday, but I think this is something that would have made Marcus Garvey proud. Uh, and I'm excited about it. Well, listen, congratulations, man. I still want to, I still got to get there and take a look at it. And uh, listen, I know you got a lot to do. You got a, a, a lot of messages to get out here because you're one of Dr. King's sons, one of his, one of his direct sons. And you're still yes. speaking his language and he's doing a lot of work through you, man. 
So I would ask you to continue on. Don't waste too much more time with us. But thank you for being a friend and a family to the Sean Pittman Show, man. Oh, no, my privilege. All right. Listen, y'all, Dr. Jamal Bryant, y'all know him. Uh, Google him. Pay attention to his social media. There's always powerful messages and things that we need to pay attention to as a community. Stay with us for a short Pittman point right after this. Welcome back to the show. And now it's time for a Pittman point. You're listening to the Sean Pittman Show.
for Pittman's Point on 96.1 Jams. Hold and say what needs to be said. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was controversial, y'all, but he studied, he thought, and crafted what he had to say. He knew that when he spoke, that he was expressing a truth, a truth that remains all of our responsibilities. In the words of the late Congressman John Lewis, when we see something that is not right, fair, or just, we have the moral obligation to say something and do something. We cannot be quiet. Dr. King taught us that. Even attorney Ben Crump, a friend of ours here in this time, continues to say that when we have the opportunity to speak truth to power, that it is our obligation to stand up, even if it makes others uncomfortable. Being on the right side of history, y'all, isn't always popular, and it isn't always easy, but there is no opting out of this fight for justice. Current events remind us uh, of, of the things that Dr. King stood for, y'all. He advocated for love and peace and dignity. He advocated for tolerance, nonviolence, brotherhood and sisterhood, and fairness, justice, and community, y'all, and overall connection, y'all, of all of us. All of which are the things we desperately are in need of now. So today, as the nation pauses for a moment to pay homage to the legacy of Dr. King, I ask you, I challenge you, and I, I even encourage you to choose to be on the right side of history. We have to recognize the importance of allyship in creating a common community and a story. We have to connect along those lines and assume that in any given conversation that there is more common story for us to find and to connect on. This doesn't mean that we won't have differences, y'all. But what we'll learn is that those differences are not the most important thing. This is the path forward that Dr. King spoke of. He understood that there were differences, but he believed that what is most important is a love of democracy, a love of community, a love of citizenry, and a love of country. We are one people, one family, y'all. We all live in the same house. So in the words of Dr. King, the Pittman point today is love each other and never hate. Hate, by the way, is too much burden to bear. We can't give that kind of energy, y'all, to our haters. This has been the Sean Pittman Show, and we'll see you in seven. This is the Sean Pittman Show on 96.1 Jams, Tallahassee's big station. We got this.